fighting for freedom every day. Broadcasting from the heartland of America. The next generation in conservative talk radio. This is the Voice of Reason with Andy Hoosier. Yes, it is. Welcome back into it. It is the Voice of Reason. I am Andy Hoosier. Hey, what's up? Happy middle of the week. Making it through. You see the light at the end of the tunnel. I know you are excited about that. So let's help you get there. What do you say? This is the Voice of Reason. I am Andy Hoosier broadcasting out of the heart of the nation in Wichita, Kansas on our flagship radio station. We are all over the country, multiple radio stations and TV, live streaming, podcasting, however you watch or listen to the show. Welcome aboard your Millennial General reporting for duty like we do every single day. What a show we have lined up today. I'm kind of enjoying doing this four hours of talk radio, if you know what I mean. I had one more day of filling in for the great Todd Starnes, toddstarns.com. You can listen to that podcast of the program today and from yesterday. Really cool stuff. Enjoyed it. And while well, it makes for long days for me because I have other things to do as well throughout the day, so I'll probably be here a lot longer tonight at the station doing other behind-the-scenes work, that's totally okay because it's worth it and it's a lot of fun. So we enjoyed it. Always a great honor. Appreciate Todd Starnes for allowing me to sit into that seat for a short amount of time. But that doesn't mean that we don't have a lot to talk about on this program either because there is a lot going on as usual. Did you know, now that things are getting warmer... Apparently, the groundhog was right for this year on Groundhog Day that we were going to have an early spring. We're seeing it here in the middle of the country where I'm broadcasting in Wichita, Kansas. It is currently 72 degrees at the end of February. That's not allowed. Stop it. That's not okay. It's not okay. How dare you? That's a bad Mr. Kitty. You can't be doing that. Uh, I want it to be like 40 degrees still right now. Just... Throwing that out there. I'm sure other people will vehemently disagree with me on that, but that's okay. I want it to still be cool. I want to enjoy a little bit of cold. Not like the negative 20s. I still want to enjoy like somewhat of a winter or early spring where it's still chilly outside. Not 70 degree weather. Nonetheless, as we are getting warmer, that also means that the grass is growing. That the trees are beginning to bloom early. That people are putting their plants and gardens into the ground and getting ready for that next year. And if you are trying to prim and proper, I already have my neighbor. I love my neighbors to death. One of my neighbors, uh, he probably hates me with a passion because I, <laughs> during the summer, I'm so busy and I hate the extreme hot, like the 100 degree temperatures we get sometimes in the middle of the country. I, I despise that so much that I feel sick. I, I just feel lethargic and tired. I can't go. I mow my yard maybe like every week and a half, every week, week and a half. I try to do it every week. Doesn't always get done. He get, he does it. He's vehement, man. He is on it. And I give him total props because he does it like every two to three days. Like he is, boom, he is there. I heard him fire up the lawnmower probably for the maintenance and pre-maintenance beforehand. I heard him fire it up this weekend. And I, I looked at the wife. I looked at Mrs. Voice of Reason. And I said, yep, we, we know what the neighbor's doing. We know he's out there getting it already. And it's awesome. I mean, kudos to him. His yard is immaculate. Depending on where you live, though, that may not be... The way to go, because the state of Colorado apparently is telling you you're not allowed to use those gas-powered lawnmowers any longer. According to Fox News, in an 8 to nothing vote from the Colorado Air Quality Control Commission, they have uh, approved of a piece of legislation that's going to go apparently to the state legislature that would approve the measure to crack down on certain use of gas-powered lawn equipment as part of the state's broader climate change push. They say, according to Fox News, they would, it would prohibit gas-powered lawn and garden equipment from being used on public property statewide. 
Oh, yes. Under the finalized rule, the ban would enforce the beginning of 2025. And according to the public uh, Colorado Public Interest Research Group, it represents the first effort of its kind in the nation. As they say, quote, given the significant pollution generated by gas-powered lawn equipment and the severe air pollution problem in our region, I'm glad that the state is taking action to accelerate the switch to cleaner, quieter electric lawn equipment. This vote is the first step towards eliminating this uncertainty and unnecessary source of harmful air pollution. You're welcome. We're all going to die because of you! Uh, that lawnmower, man, I'm telling you, taking it to another level. How dare you use that gas-powered lawnmower to actually trim your yard? Or it's in this case, it would be public property, but it's only a matter of time. It's only a matter of time until it comes to you and your private property there as well. Good golly. On the program today, we have Steve Bonta. He is with The New American. He's the chief editor for The New American, uh, newamerican.com. We're going to talk about the immigration, uh, immigration crisis, but a little bit different angle of it, where apparently there is some fundulation, some finances coming in from the United Nations in funding the transporting of these migrants from Central America up to the U.S. border at the southern end. So we'll talk about where the U.S. stands there and why we're seeing the United Nations fund this travel uh, coming up to our southern border. I don't know if you caught it last night, but Donald Trump held a town hall meeting in our latest in What's Trending. What's Trending Today? He held a town hall meeting with the Laura Ingram show, The Ingram Angle, on Fox News last night, talking about numerous different things, especially going into South Carolina's primaries that are a week from Really, yesterday, the South Carolina primaries in just a week from now. And while he talks about being so high up in the polls, he dropped some big bombshells on the program. But it was in response to Nikki Haley saying that she has no intention of actually dropping out of the Republican primary anytime soon. The problem is, this is someone we're talking about could win the Republican nomination. And he's going to be in court March and April. May and June. He, by his own words, said he's going to be spending more time in court than he is on the campaign trail. That's a problem. Republicans will not win if Donald Trump is the nominee. That audio from Fox News, by the way. So Trump, during the town hall meeting, responding to that, saying that really she doesn't know how to drop out and being funded as much as she is, that she's going to be in it for a while, which I have a new theory on this. I have a uh, I have a conspiracy theory that the only reason she's staying in the office or in at least in the race knowing that she doesn't have a chance to win is largely in part due to the fact that she thinks Donald Trump will be booted off the ticket or in jail or be financially ruined to not be able to run any longer and then by default she'll be the only candidate left standing to just take that mantle up. She can't win by popular vote. She has to win by default if Donald Trump for some reason runs into a scenario where he no longer can be that Republican at presidential nominee. She's not working. She's here. She's down by 30, 35 points. And everybody knows her. You're not supposed to lose your home state. Shouldn't happen anyway. And she's losing it big. big. I mean, really. Uh, <laughs> uh, apparently, he doesn't want to say bigly anymore. I think that's a great term. You should keep using it, buddy. And I think we're going to make it bigly. I think that we need to keep using that. But he tried to correct himself. Shouldn't happen anyway. And she's losing it big. big. I mean, really. Uh, I said bigly and bigly. Too. <laughs> Bigly, but we're gonna we're gonna really do a job. I think that, uh, as you know, when we went to Iowa, we got the biggest margin in the history of the caucus. The biggest. That's a long time. Why do you think we, she's staying in the race? Um, I don't think she knows how to get out. I think that's a legitimate concern. I, she didn't know how to get out, and at the same time, she doesn't want to get out because she's waiting for that default. Now, here's the bigger. 
uh, question because he touched on a few different issues. He touched on, touched on his civil rights issues, the, the civil rights case that came after him, New York, the fines that he's being paid, which he brought up a really interesting point about violating his Eighth Amendment with excessive uh, punishments. So I think that's opening up the door for investigation as well. And it is proof positive that the Democrats, the further they go to be desperate to silence him, is really proof positive that the uh, proof, proof positive. If I can talk today, that uh, he is, uh, they'll go to any means, even by breaking the law and breaking the Constitution and violating that constitutional law in order to make sure that he doesn't get on the ballot. But there was a more interesting piece of this entire conversation last night that included the potentials for his vice presidential picks on the campaign trail. And there were some names that were drawn out and names that were brought up during Ingram's survey of the public and the the community that was in there where there were some kind of fascinating names, and he had confirmed with all of them. The audience has uh, been asked who they think would be a good choice, and various names came up. Um, uh, One of them was, of course, Vivek Ramaswamy. He's made a big splash. Ron DeSantis, who's making an appearance today in South Carolina, we just found out. Um, Obviously, Tim Scott, Byron Donalds, and a a big uh, presence here for Tulsi Gabbard. Um, Very interesting. Um, are, and Christy Nome as well, I should say. Right. Are, are, are they all on your short list? And when can, you, when can we expect that you will so announce your choice? The one thing that always surprises me is that the VP choice has absolutely no impact. It's whoever the president is. It just seems. Uh, I remember when Sarah Palin was actually picked, and she did have a big up, and then uh, they just went after her at a level that nobody's seen. The Republicans themselves went after what they did. But you'll be a one-term president because you've already served, yeah. so you can. Okay. Oh, we'll get to the rest of that in just a moment. I want to stop it there for just a minute. I uh, I see where he's coming from. With Donald Trump, I completely agree. With other candidates, I would disagree. But with Donald Trump himself and the movement that he's created, I agree that. Really, he's got his support. He's got his people, and you either love Trump or you hate Trump. You're either going to vote for Trump or you're not going to vote for Trump. And that goes for Republicans, Democrats, Independents, whoever. You already know what you're getting with him. So a vice presidential pick, while I've made the case that does help try to widen that parameter, open up the umbrella a little bit, you really, it really doesn't say much about whether someone else is going to get on board with Donald Trump, but really about their reputation, whether they'd be tainted on that front or not, which I'm I'm not saying tainted because he's bad, but because the other side sees him bad, so they're going to lump him in as just another Trumper, just another MAGA individual, and they're going to crucify them the best that they possibly can. So an interesting list, though. Tim Scott, which was at the town hall last night. Vivek Ramaswamy, which has been a complete fighter, a great champion for Donald Trump. Ron DeSantis, which I know they were butting heads quite brutally during the campaign trail, but has said nice things to each other thereafter. Christy Nome, obviously, but the one that kind of stood out to me was Tulsi Gabbard, which Tulsi, I've said this many times on the program, she left the Democrat Party. They went way too radical. She doesn't like the fear-mongering. She doesn't like the militarization and being a war-mongering party, and she left them to become an independent. She hasn't been the most friendly to Donald Trump, but at the same time has been very friendly for the most part to a lot of the conservative movement. Now, I haven't agreed with her on every issue out there. She still has some other tendencies of some government programs that I would probably disagree with. But I think out of any of the candidates, and look, I, I've been saying that I think Christine Nome's going to be the candidate. I would like to see Christine Nome. I would like to see someone like Vivek Ramaswamy. I'd like to see one of these other ones. But someone that could actually shift the bar 
turn the dial a little bit to win over some of the independents. If it's going to be anybody, it could very well be someone like Tulsi Gabbard. And while she may not be the most conservative through and through, she has been on Tucker Carlson. She's an advocate of free speech. She's an advocate of trying to get us out of wars and being so involved in foreign affairs all over the place. She's been one that's been conservative in many aspects while we disagree on some other aspects. And being an independent that was a Democrat, could she actually be the one that could unite some of the independents and sway them over to the Republican side and vote for Donald Trump and her if she were an actual candidate for the VP pick? I don't think that he's going to choose her. But the fact that there was some support there from Fox News, from the viewers there at Fox News, and that he occurred that, and agreed that they would be a list of potential VP candidate picks kind of blows my mind. That's interesting. Now, he does make a great point as well, the fact that he is a one-term president, essentially having already done a term, that whoever it is could potentially be set up for a presidential run for themselves thereafter, which is why this election, while not making the importance on his race as important to try and win over more people, it does really set them up on who could potentially be a great president thereafter him when he's done and they could run for office afterwards being a one-term vice president as well. So it's more so for them and who's going to be set up for the next round of conservatism after Donald Trump as opposed to just this race that's going to be winning Donald Trump and trying to get people to win them over to support that Republican ticket. Fascinating conversation. I'd love to get your thoughts on some of these. If you want to join us on some of our social media live streams, chat with us. Let us know your thoughts on this. The VP choice that Donald Trump will pick having the greater implication for the longer term, that longer investment. Who could that be with this very interesting list that he's agreed to that could be his short list of candidates? Lots more coming up. Stay here. This is The Voice of Reason with Andy Hoosier. Fighting for freedom every day. This is the Voice of Reason with Andy Hoosier. Darn right it is. Welcome into it. Your political therapist, truth, reason, common sense, bringing rationale back into the conversation. I know it's a difficult thing to do. I know that it's a minority in society today, but by golly, we're going to focus on it and make it a majority all over again. Welcome back into it. Find us all over our social media at Hoosier Reason, our website at HoosierReason.com, ProsperityIsPossible.com as well. Be an advocate for the catalyst for change in this election season. Americans for Prosperity are definitely doing that. While Republican parties are crumbling right now, we need all the help we can get. And we need to be that catalyst at the local level. And the only way we can do that is with the assistance of private organizations. Guess what? That's going to be Americans for Prosperity. Go to the website, prosperityispossible.com. Check out the information, type in your email, get the information, and learn how you can be a great fighter, especially in this great election season we have of 2024. As we look at the potential VP candidates of Donald Trump in the town hall that was done last night, the names that were thrown out there in the survey from the people in the Fox News studios included Tim Scott, Vivek Ramaswamy, Ron DeSantis, Christy Nome, and Tulsi Gabbard. Out of all of those, Tulsi kind of threw me off a little bit, the fact that there was so much support. I like it. I mean, that's awesome. But uh, as a VP candidate, to set them up for the stage of potentially running for president after a Donald Trump administration, if he gets elected again, 
needs to be someone that's ready to take on that role and take on that challenge. Who would that be? And what is the priority that Donald Trump's looking at as he chooses his VP pick? Serve for one term, although they say you'll never leave office. I assume uh, yeah, that you'll do. never leave. There'll never be an ele another say, election Don't again. do it. He'll never leave. He's yeah. never going. Oh, these people. They um, are crazy. So for that reason, it is important so, who, you're, who you so pick. So I think it's very important. But look, first is that, as we said, it has to you know, do with whoever is, you know, it's a very important position for that reason. Uh, you would like to get somebody that could help you from the voter standpoint. And honestly, all of those people are good. They're all good. They're all solid. And I always say, I want people with common sense because there's so many things happening in this country that don't make sense. Who wants an open border? Who wants high interest rates? Who wants all electric vehicles? And they're fine, but you want to have choice. You want to go to combustion. You want to go to uh, the, any hybrid. I think the hybrid are much better from that standpoint. But you talk, we were talking about faucets. We're talking about, we're talking about so much. It's all based on common sense. All based on common sense. Oh, what do we do on this program? Oh, that's right. We talk about common sense. There's a few different ways to look at this. And again, this is why the political analysts, when you turn on the TV and you listen to these analysts and these experts and these uh, political people trying to break down what's going on in the world today, and especially with Donald Trump, they've never been able to understand him. They've never been able to get what Donald Trump does. And it's strictly because he does things differently and he doesn't follow the regular norm in politics. Normally, like he said, normally when you look at a presidential candidate and you look at the potential VP picks, you look at someone in a state that may be a purple state, someone who may be able to widen the base, someone who may be able to lock in a state with the Electoral College and the votes for that state for you that you really need, or someone who balances you out perfectly. And right now I know that uh, Mike Pence is not like necessarily on the conservative A-list for people who actually like him because of what happened at the end of the Trump administration, but he contrasted Donald Trump beautifully during the administration where Donald Trump was kind of the firebrand and Mike Pence was more of the calm, laid-back, relaxed guy that was a little more centered. And they contrasted each other perfectly and they blended wonderfully. Uh, this time, sounds like it's going to be something just a little bit different. And it's not to try and win over a certain demographic. It's not to widen the base. It's not to lock in a certain state. While that may be important to a degree, again, Donald Trump's name is Donald Trump, and you already know who the guy is. And you either like him or you dislike him. And then you make the decision, do I vote for Trump based on whatever flavor, fill in the blank that may be on the Democrat side, when Joe Biden ends up getting booted out because he continues to decline mentally and cognitively to where he's not going to be able to do it. This is a different kind of race, and it's not just looking at how to win this race, but setting up the future because Donald Trump thinks he's already got it locked in and in the bag, which the polls confirm that that's really what's happening right now as well. Steve Bonta, when we come back, we'll shift gears and talk about some of the crises at the border and so much more coming up for a middle of the week on a Voice of Reason. Stay right here. This is the Voice of Reason with Andy Hoosier. When Reason meets radio, this is the Voice of Reason. With Andy Hoosier. Yes, indeed it is. Welcome into it. Reason, common sense, rationale. It's what we do on the show. Try to have fun doing it as well for the middle of the week. Get carpe diem all over the place. I'm going to tell myself that at least. Winning. It's what we do. Welcome back into it. It is the voice of reason. 
Let's shift gears a little bit away from the, or at least from election season. We have Donald Trump with his big town hall, the primary coming up next week in South Carolina, the rumor that the RNC chair may step down after that election, and Nikki Haley having no plans on walking away from this election at all. So uh, definitely welcome into 2024. Strap in, buckle up, and have fun because it's been a wild year, and it's only going to get crazier as time goes along. But let's get into our What's Trending, shall we? What's trending today? So there's still conversation in some manner of an immigration bill going on at the federal level. Congress still trying to figure something out after the failure a couple weeks ago from the bill that was crafted by James Langford, a friend of us here on the program in the great state of Oklahoma. Unfortunately, that bill not quite where we need it to be to make things right. And again, look, if we were looking to try and steer things slowly, it could have worked. But like usual, we wait to the last moment, we have a complete disaster on our hands, and then we wonder why we're not just taking it little by little at this point in the time when we really need to have a drastic measure done uh, right here and right now. But things get a little more complicated when we hear about some of the global issues on how there may be an encouragement of those in other nations outside of, obviously, Mexico, Central America, South America, to be able to come up here with that migrant run. To talk about some of that and more, happy to have on the program, he is with The New American, thenewamerican.com, as the executive senior editor. Happy to have on here Mr. Steve Bonta. Steve, how are you, my friend? Oh, do we have you, Steve? Oh, there we go. Helps why I turned it on turn this on. Are, are you with me? Yes, I hey, am. Can you hear me now? I, I got you now. There we go. How are you, my friend? All right. I'm just fine, Andy. Hey, very good. Uh, it's a crazy world when we try to actually do something like, I don't know, seal our borders and allow proper immigration in this nation, when it seems like we have other forces working against us to try and stop that from happening. Well, yeah, I mean, I mean, you know, and I mean, it's, it's so blatantly obvious what's going on here. Uh, it, it, it's, it's a very deliberate effort by elements within our own government, particularly the federal government, but also some of them, you know, some of these large cities, the city government, you know, the sanctuary cities and so forth, to effectively, you know, change the demographics of, 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 of the United States, particularly certain states like Texas and Florida and other, other red states, Oklahoma, one supposes, you know, uh, the same way they did with California a, a, a generation ago. It's, it's an open secret as to why we're being so magnanimous about all this and why um, this supposedly humanitarian liberals are looking the other way, don't care about all the atrocities that are taking place at the border, the, the child trafficking and the trafficking of women, you know, the rapes and the drug smuggling and all the rest of it. All of those are, are I think, are acceptable um, acceptable exchange for the, for the lar- larger goal, which is to transform this country. Yeah. Um, to get to the point where everybody is like California, you know, and New York State. That's what we want, because the real goal is to effect a true revolutionary makeover of the United States, you know, root and branch to eradicate the, you know, the Constitution and everything else. These people, that's their goal. And they've come to realize with increasing fervor in, in the last you know, few decades that they're not going to be able to accomplish that unless they change dramatically the demographics and uh, of, of the country. That's just a fact. And I know people, oh, it's a conspiracy theory, and the people even hurl accusations of racism if you, if you make claims like this. But it's, it's true. Uh, I mean, you know, when you have, I mean, what other possible explanation can there be for the, these perverse policies yeah. and, and dog whistles, frankly, that are encouraging people to come in and mass from the Middle East, from China, from uh, Sub-Saharan Africa, and places like this, uh, people who 
you know, uh, maybe given enough time, might might assimilate. But you know, you could ask the, the 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 French and most of the Europeans, you know, how well peoples from those countries, t- you know, how readily they tend to assimilate. And you know that they don't. And of course, they've got themselves, you know, they're 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 ter- they're destroying European civilization. And so they're simply repeating the recipe here. Yeah, how well using does, much much the same techniques. Yeah, exactly. How well is that working out for them uh, for the long part? So it really sounds like the ends justify the means. We may be seeing crime. We may be seeing, you know, like you said, human trafficking, drug smuggling, fentanyl running rampant across the nation. But as long as they're able to just fundamentally, as Barack Obama said, fundamentally change the United States of America, then those ends justify the means. And at the end of the day, they're going to get what they want, it sounds like. Well, I mean, you have to look at it from the pers- if, if if you and it, uh, admittedly this is hard to do, but you have to try to um, to, to see the world through the eyes of a radical left, which is a fundamentally revolutionary perspective. And what revolutionaries everywhere are interested in are is anything that will destabilize, that will subvert, that will erode, that's corrosive to the body politic, to the culture. And so, obviously, in addition to mass unregulated immigration coupled with failure to, you know, no, no effort to assimilate those who are immigrating legally or otherwise. Um, it, but in combination with massive amounts of drug smuggling, gang activity, everything, all of these things are, are profoundly destabilizing. And of course, they incentivize more and more robust government measures, which is precisely what the radical left wants. You know, they want unrestricted government power to remold the world after their own heart's desire. And so what better to do that than to foment, you know, this wave of, of, of immigration coupled with the inevitable wave of, waves of crime, the, the, you know, the debilitating effect of drugs that are sapping America's civic virtue, quite frankly. All of these things work together. And this is the reason. I mean, it may seem all chaotic and unconnected, but if, you're, if, if your fundamental goal, if, if, you're, if your worldview is, the way things are now is all horrible, it's all immoral, capitalism is bad, the Constitution is racist, everything was set up by racist white men, etc., etc., etc. If that's your perspective, then you want to destroy it, and anything that, that, that conduces to that goal is, is welcome. Now, they're not so in politics as to say that generally, although they do in more candid moments, sure. you know, they, they, they do admit, but they don't go proclaiming it you know, in the streets. As a matter of course, they're, they're, they're you know they're canny enough to know that, you know to conceal that. Certainly, the ones that wear the suits and ties and walk the, the halls of power in Washington uh, are not going to say that. But many of these people in 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 Congress and in, in the White House, of course, these people are gimlet-eyed radical leftists, and not not just the AOC types. I mean, Biden is the same way. You know, people think that he's this avuncular old man and sort of an old school, well-meaning liberal. He's anything but. You know, if you look, if you look at the, he's he's actively pushing for. He's as radical as any of them. And uh, and so that means that, you know, it's so facto, he is as, as contemptuous of, uh, you know, the American system and culture as, as as an Ilan Omar or an AOC is. Yeah. Well, and it seems like it's been a slow bleed that's progressively gotten worse that we just refuse to actually patch up. It started, I mean, we remember all the way back during the Reagan administration where, you know, okay, well, you know what, we'll allow the illegal aliens to come in if, as long as you give them amnesty, then we will stop it. We won't allow it to happen any longer. He signs that, and obviously it didn't happen. Under the Bush administration, Bush Jr., then it was the Republican stance of at least that form of Republicanism of, well, we'll allow illegals to come in because, you know, it's kind of an open border thing. You know, they're coming here for agriculture. 
agriculture that are doing jobs that we don't want to do. And it's led from that to, like you said, now from all over the world coming in in different cultures and different countries uh, coming into the United States and just saying we're going to change a nation. We're not going to assimilate and we're just going to do our thing. And if you question any of that, then you're some kind of crazy racist, regardless of what crime that could be bringing into your community. Like we've allowed the bleed to happen for so long. It's almost near impossible now, it seems like, to fix. Well, and of course now, you know, we're not, we, this is arterial bleed. I mean, the, the nation's carotid artery has been se- severed. And, you know, the patient is bleeding out on the operating table at this point. But it's, being, it's been done by design. I mean, you know, the surgeon has deliberately used the scalpel to artfully inflict wounds that, that if left untreated, are, are going to speedily sap our remaining, you know, the lifeblood of the country. I mean, you know, not to draw too fine a point in that, that metaphor. Now, I, I mean, you know, interesting thing is that, 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 you know, the founding fathers really never thought much about, uh, about immigration controls and this sort of thing, because it was naturally assumed that anyone who was doughty enough to leave the, the relative comforts, uh, you know, and security of the old world, be it Europe or Asia, come to the new and, you know, be willing to take that risk that, that, that they pretty much earned it. They could come and immigrate and assimilate and so forth and so on. And for a long time, this was the case. But what, what has changed, of course, is that the radical left has also transformed the whole way that we do government so that we have, you know, cradle-to-grave socialism and all these welfare programs. And, and so they tend to incentivize a very different type of immigrant. Yeah. You know, I mean, there, there have always been immigrants. Even in the, in the 19th century, there were immigrants from the Middle East, not many of them, but there were some. Um, but these were people who were, you know, outliers who were willing to go to a place like Arizona, you know, to help train the Camel Corps or something like that, uh, who were willing to take those risks. But, but they didn't expect handouts, yeah. you know. And uh, the thing is now there's this expo, well, if I can just get into the United States, then all of my children are automatically, you know, they get all these, you know, wonderful benefits that I can't get. In the, the old guy. You can hardly blame people, I suppose. But my point being is that the, the way the system is structured now, the perversity is that it does not incentivize maybe the, the you know the the sturdiest individualist types you know people escape you know to come here some of them are some of them are legitimately sure. escaping persecution i mean having lived in china for 4 years i can tell you uh, the the vast majority of these chinese coming in they're desperate to get out they're not necessarily communist plant i mean the situation in china is truly desperate now yeah. and it both not just the failing economy but the the, the return of maoism i mean it's just a, it's a terrible thing so you know you can hardly blame them for getting out when, when the getting is good. The thing is, and the Chinese, you know, I mean, they do have a very strong work ethic. Um, so, you know, they'll probably be reasonably productive. But, but a large number of people, you know, they kind of come here. And, and they, they're coming from countries where we dole out huge amounts of, of, of government aid, yeah. right? And so they and look at that, that and the they incentive. have a sense of... Yeah, we do. Well, that's right. It's, and it's created a sense of entitlement. It's you know, so so we give them foreign aid, and their government and citizenries alike, they 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 view us as a source of foreign aid. So of course they're entitled to come here exactly. and uh, and uh, go on welfare and take advantage of all these benefits. Exactly. Yeah. No, you're right. It's gone from uh, we're not blaming the people per se, but it's the politi- the politicizing and the perversion of what this process was supposed to be about. Steve, hang on line. We got to take a hard break here. When we come back, I want to continue this conversation on what we can do and what kind of policy we may start seeing come out of this. Stay right here on The Voice of Reason. The Voice of Reason with Andy Hoosier. Fighting for freedom every day. The Voice of Reason 
with Andy Hoosier. Yes, indeed it is. Welcome back into it. Last few minutes of the program. Oh, how the time flies right on by. So much to talk about. So little time to do it. We're hanging out with Steve Bonte. He's with The New American. TheNewAmerican.com is the executive senior editor for The New American. We're talking immigration, immigration policy, the change in how immigration's been done. Again, Barack Obama was not wrong when he said he wanted to fundamentally change the United States of America. And we're seeing that right now with how immigration's been politicized and used for the advantage to change America in a different way. And they don't care the ends that justify the means and what the end goal actually is. Steve, uh, Bar- uh, Joe Biden said that we needed to pass this last immigration bill so that way he had the ability to shut down the border if necessary, if there was a crisis and if everything got out of hand. Which I have two points on there is, number one, I thought we already had the ability to shut down the border. And at what point do we call it a crisis if it gets out of hand? Because I thought we were there like a long time ago. But uh, I didn't know that we needed to pass that one in order to make that happen. What's your thoughts? Well, that's all just persiflage. It, it, you know, what, what is act, that last bill was all about put, it, cementing in place all of the radical changes that have been made by Biden and Mayorkas in the last three and a half years against the possibility that Trump gets reelected to make sure that he has, he basically has no legal recourse. He can't uh, shut down. I mean, the bill would have provided for, uh, is like, what was it, like 3,000 or 4,000 en- you know, en- entries per day or something like that. Yeah. Um, it would have cemented that in place and said, yeah, we're just going to grant automatic entry to the first several thousand people that show up at the border every day. And then at the discretion of the Department of Homeland Security, maybe we'll stop it if things get out of control. But it basically was an attempt to, to lock in place all of these lawless policies. And they are lawless because um, what he's done, in effect, is he's just he's ridden roughshod. Over, I mean, that's why Mayorkas got impeached only, you know, a few days ago, finally. And, um, you know, and, and well-deservedly, I might add. And, and in fact, if, if Congress had any sense, they would impeach Biden for the same set of, uh, of, of crimes and misdemeanors, quite frankly, because he's, he's kind of the mastermind behind all of this. You, sure. know, you know, Mayorkas has not been acting in a vacuum. So, yeah, I mean, that's what that bill is about. It had absolutely nothing to do with giving the president powers that he already has, certainly, uh, and which he's only exercising selectively to try to prevent Texas, in particular, the largest of the border states, from, or the border state with the longest border and the most porous border, from actually doing anything about it, which is another story. So it's absolutely backwards. And, uh, and, and you know, so whatever. I mean, take as with everything else, pretty much whatever they say they're doing, you can guarantee it's the opposite. <laughs> That's right, yeah. What they, yeah what they intend. They're always doing the opposite. Yeah, where does the United Nations fall into this conversation, or at least global governance? Because my understanding of what an asylum seeker was, or a refugee, was that you can't go halfway around the world. Let's say, use China for an example. You know, while they're fleeing China, all the power to them. That's awesome. You need to get out of there because of that situation. But my understanding of a refugee or an asylum seeker was you go to the country next to you because you have to just flee and just essentially get out as quick as you can. You don't go halfway around the world and then claim that you're an asylum seeker. Has that changed at all? Yeah, no, it has. Well, that, well, yes and no. I mean, this is a very interesting question because it turns out, and I, and I add, should add parenthetically that we're hoping to send some 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 people, perhaps me, uh, down to Panama to look at this firsthand. But it turns out that the UN is overseeing much of the chaos down in the Darien Gap. All of these these massive, you know, tens of thousands of people a day that are flowing through from all over the world that typically arrive in Colombia or Ecuador. It's a very popular uh, place, an influx place. And they travel overland, and they take a boat across 
or, or, or they, they walk through the Darien jungle, and then they catch, take buses from Panama all the way up to the Mexican, the, the border with Texas, or California now is becoming popular with the, with the crackdown at Eagle Pass and other places. And apparently this is all being enabled by the U.N., by U.N. agencies, particularly the U.N. agency that is responsible for, that believes in the absolute, unconditional, universal, and untrammeled right of, of, of migration, that people should be allowed ultimately in a, in a one-world environment to go and live anywhere they want. That's, that's their ideal. And so they, they're, they have a big offices down there in the middle of the jungle that are processing these people. So they're very much playing an active role in this, and they seem to think that so this is part and this is this is the part of the story that's not gotten enough press, unfortunately, yeah. is that the UN has a major role in what's going on in the South border. They're enabling it, but not along the Mexican border, down in Panama. Down in Panama, allowing it and just processing those to say, All right, here's your bus ticket to be able to and here's your trinket, sit on top of the train and ride it all the way up to Mexico. Oh yeah, and giving and yeah, giving medical care and all the rest of it. Yep. Uh huh. Wow. Mind blowing. It is Steve Bonch of the New American the New American.com. Mind-blowing information as we need to be aware of what the heck's going on and how we can start stopping this stuff from happening. Steve, always great to talk to you, my friend. we got to do it again real soon. Thanks, Andy. Hey, Take appreciate care. it. There it is. Man, we're out of time. So much more we could talk about in so little time, but we'll do it again tomorrow for a pre-Friday celebration. Until then, be your own catalyst for change. Be that voice of reason in your local community. This is The Voice of Reason. I'm Andy Hoosier. We'll see you on the radio.